We have seen the first three chapters in the book of Exodus. And although the divisions concerning Israel and Egypt may vary, some would have it, as we've noted, Exodus 1 to 12, including the Passover. Some would put it as Exodus 1 to 15, but nonetheless, it's a general outline that could be debated. 1 to 12, Israel in Egypt, and then 13 to 18, Israel in the wilderness, their journeys, while still in the wilderness, particularly Mount Sinai, from Exodus 19 through 40. God has been showing us how the word we're reading applies to us personally. Now the Spirit of God takes the same word that's been recorded over 3,000 years ago, almost 3,500 years ago, and causes it to come and shape our lives and change our lives, speaks into our lives, so that we can be found in the will of God. That's the whole goal of Scripture. To reveal God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in a nutshell, to reveal our identity in Christ so that we can be in His perfect will. Exodus chapter 1, we can describe it as bondage. The introduction to the slavery, the bondage, as well as babies being slaughtered. When the Pharaoh gave the edict to destroy every male, male child, he wanted to reduce the population and the strength of the population reminiscent of what another wicked ruler did years later. And this ruler, of course, was Herod, King Herod. He was a despot, very oppressive dictator. And when he felt threatened, Satan incited him to order the execution of all the male children two years old and under. Chapter 1, we see this description of the bondage that Israel was suffering under. We see the slaughter of innocent children. We see also in chapter 2 the basket the Lord provided to protect a particular baby. We introduced to baby Moses. 
In chapter 3, we encounter the burning bush, the very presence of Almighty God. In the beginning of the commission and the call of Moses, now in chapter 4, we see a dilemma and a lesson to believe God. It will be useful and instrumental in our lives when we read the Word of God to have not only a one-word summary of the book, the different books of the Bible. It's not a matter of trivia or being able to show how bright we are that we can consolidate and summarize. It's not even a matter of a conversation of peace at dinner or an interesting fact or a fun fact. We're dealing with everlasting truth that can demolish lies that have crept up in our lives. Truth that can shine into the darkness. This concerning not any book, bestseller, but it's concerning the word, the revelation of the living God. So when we are able to summarize and have overviews and we're privileged to study the Word of God, what happens is, in a marvelous way, the Holy Spirit will use the material to connect the dots, if you will, to help us better understand God's program and we are more in awe. Our hearts are sincere and diligent of how God weaves together this tapestry of his purpose for mankind, for the world, for the universe, for his kingdom, for you and for me. And so if we continue with the letter B as a convenient device here, Exodus being a book about redemption, just as we mentioned about Hebrews. Key word is better. Better priesthood, better prophet, better covenant. The revelation of better sacrifice from the one and only Son of God Himself. Better would characterize the book of Hebrews describe it. In Exodus, we can say it is about deliverance or redemption. And as an overview, not only with Israel at the center, and using Israel as a descriptive device to summarize the book of Exodus. Israel's location, as we mentioned, Egypt in the wilderness, and more specifically, in the latter chapters, Israel at Mount Sinai, which is Mount Horeb, or another peak in the region called Horeb. Chapter 1 is about bondage and babies being slaughtered. Brings us to the horrific drama, a real incident. And the implications for our lives the bondage in which we were found, 
the darkness. Chapter 1 concerns bondage, innocence being slaughtered. Chapter 2, in the midst of that great massacre, we see a basket as a provision. And we see a special baby that has been preserved. In chapter 3, we encounter the burning bush, the miraculous, supernatural intervention of God in the lives of his people who are in bondage through a direct revelation to Moses at the burning bush. Bondage, baby slaughtered, chapter 1. The basket, baby Moses, chapter 2. And third, the burning bush. And fourth, as I summarize some of these things in my own words, it's a crisis of belief. Perhaps we see a cycle here, a pattern, that we can already identify with. The slavery that we were under. I used to wonder in my younger days with the mixture of volatile emotions within me because of the injustice I saw. Even going to school and different parts of the city and the pressures of being in a public school and all of the different, now I know, demonic spirits that can come to cause problems there. And does it sound familiar to any of us? While we are trying to establish our own identity growing up in childhood and adolescence, we are conveniently introduced to the devil's brand in various ways. His identity that he wants to put on us, this bondage, and we have tasted of that, the pressure of life and trying to conform while trying to make good grades and who am I and how do I fit in society and who do I identify with? The media was also a major vehicle for many or in many of our lives used by the devil. Societal norms, the pressure to conform, it was a bondage. It was an oppression from the devil to try to get us to forfeit everything that is noble and go after that which is foolishness. Can we identify with that? It may be that some of us were abusers of our own bodies in various ways and abusers of substances and with the wrong crowd. And someone may be thinking this morning, that's the story of my life. But God came and rescued me. Others Perhaps not so much substance abuse and abuse of the body, but there's an abuse of the imagination while trying to be successful in school or other endeavors, uh, in the various jobs. The bondage of still trying to make it, trying to identify with something that is popular, trying to achieve some success and the pressures of the family, the pressures of the neighborhood, of the competition, 
in the school, maybe at the state level. All of these things that are bondages if we don't have God. Once the Israelites knew God was involved and he's waiting for them because his time has come. Once Moses found out who he really was, he knew his Hebrew identity, but he didn't know who he was in God fully until he was brought through the crises by a miraculous hand. We were brought out of bondage, and while we are in bondage, a voice spoke. A hand came from heaven. We heard about love for the first time. Real love from the Savior and a supernatural hand that scooped us up out of the pit. Hallelujah. We were watched over and God heard our groans when nobody could, nobody would. Jesus cared for my soul. He cared for your soul. And we saw people die. People get swallowed up to the point of no return. But we escaped. God heard us. Just as Israel, God would call later his firstborn. We were special to God. We were special to God. Bondage. In the midst of babies being slaughtered, why were we spared? Some of us could have died at birth or prior to birth. God spared us. Many of us could have died after birth, right after birth. And in the ensuing years, up to this very moment, God has his eyes upon us. Chapter 1, bondage and babies slaughtered. Chapter 2, this basket, miraculous provision that bailed us out of a massacre. And we're introduced to a defenseless baby who was on the river in a basket. This baby Moses, humble beginnings, who has despised the day of small beginnings. And God is able to bring forth a nation in one day. God is able to transform any human being instantly, provided we make use of his grace. Too many people talk about God's power to do this and that. Too many people, too many cliches, too many slogans, jumping on the bandwagon and under the guise of talking about glorifying God and doing that, conveniently neglect our responsibility to the grace that's been shown. In chapter 3, God comes even closer. As he's spoken to us many times, it was our opportunity and option to pause and say, I need to turn aside now. And consider this great God who's speaking to me. Everything else can wait. My soul depends upon this. Truth and revelation. Moses faced God, the burning bush. And you recall, God revealed himself first and foremost as holy. There's a progressive, beautiful revelation of God, bit by bit, 
He knows we can't take all of it at one time. He's so good. Isn't he wonderful? He tailor-made the diet that we need at every stage of our lives to make us strong. And as we read in Hebrews chapter 6, there are elementary teachings, but we have to pass through the elementary teachings in order to go to the mature things. We have to take the milk and be able to digest the milk before God can take us to the solid food, the meat. And we ourselves can slow down our progress if we insist on milk all the time. Chapter 3, The Burning Bush. Moses coming into the call. Chapter 4, as we mentioned, is a crisis concerning belief. We've had this mirrored in our lives. Had the deliverance from bondage. We've had a miraculous provision that only God could have executed. And he did. We've had an intimate encounter with God and he continues to reveal himself to each of us. Hallelujah. Our God, my God. My God, he's my God. And we have a crisis where we are called to cross a threshold of uncertainty and doubt and unbelief. Because God is drawing us to believe Him, believe His grand purpose, believe who He is, His plan and our call within that plan in His great kingdom. If uh, Exodus can be divided in those three segments for easier understanding concerning Israel and Israel's geographical location, you can also say Exodus can be divided in two segments or with two points and that is redemption and then legislation. Redemption and then at Sinai from 19 to 40. Legislation. One word description of Exodus, redemption. Two word description. Redemption, chapters 1 to 18. And chapters 19 to 40. Legislation. What is that? The giving of the law to teach the people who are brought out of bondage, who don't know anything. A mass of people, 2 to 3 million strong. God brings them close to himself. He expresses his great love. He provides for them miraculously. After the deliverance through the Passover and the Red Sea, and the provision of water in the desert and food, manna and quail and all these things that would come about. God reveals himself in the law. He gives a moral code and ritual codes to let them know that and as much as he's holy, they need to know how to approach and have a relationship with him. God initiates. He's the lover of our souls. But he shows us how to live with him because he is absolutely perfect and holy. 
And all of these things are given as prescriptions to show that within the requirement to be holy, God gives a provision for cleansing with blood. He sets up the priesthood, the sacrificial system, and the covenant and agreement. So all of this is outlined to people who don't know who they are. They're coming to learn their identity in the living God, Yahweh. I am that I am. Tell them, I am has sent me to you. That's what God said. Or I will be what I will be. He's the everlasting God. That is legislation, the revelation of God through the law and everything God prescribed, including the tabernacle. The tabernacle having this pattern that would be later seen in the temple as well. A courtyard outside the tabernacle. Stages of approaches to God. And then within the tabernacle, the division of the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies. God's showing clearly, you can't rush into my presence. You'll be consumed. And that was the truth. In Hebrews we saw, in the midst of all the assurances, with the warnings, there's a unforgettable description. God says he's a consuming fire. The love of God and the awe of God, reverence for God. Moses comes here to understand that he needs to believe God. And with this, we should read Exodus chapter 4. I'd like to ask someone who has a clear voice this morning, clear connection, to read for us Exodus chapter 4 in the New King James Version. Slowly and loudly, please. Let's hear the word of God. Exodus chapter 4, New King James Version. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, 
Behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, but listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send my hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take his rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus is the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. 
And it came to pass on the way that the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are husband of my blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Amen. Amen. Praise God. What a revelation of many things here about God's nature and his call in Moses' life. His plan further revealed in detail. The closer we get to the Lord, the more he reveals. But this chapter can be characterized in one word, namely belief. See how many times the Lord said to Moses, they will believe if you say this and if you do this. And if they don't believe the first sign, do the second one. And Moses said, they won't believe me, Lord. And God had an answer for that. But you see also Moses having the crisis of believing that God, who called him to do something great, would himself go with him to make sure it gets accomplished. Moses didn't have to look at himself and strategize and begin to see how he can get it done. He was not alone. He was called to trust in the living God. Somebody's unmuted there. Chapter 4 is not only the dilemma of the Israelites believing and the Pharaoh believing enough to let them go but Moses first of all has to get over this problem of unbelief how many of us continually are told by God encouraged by God and warned by God that we've got to believe his word and how do you know if you really believe God's word is it simply a mental Assent to say God is true and the Bible is true and I, the B-I-B-L-E that's the book for me I stand alone on the word of God the B-I-B-L-E as the children sing but the only way we know that we really believe is if we follow through and act 
on the word God has spoken by obedience. Chapter 4 reveals the holiness of God all over again because God would have killed Moses en route to fulfilling the call he had given him personally. Why? Because he forgot, he ignored, he neglected that covenant token that was given to the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, beginning with Abraham, circumcision. There's a method and manner in which God must be approached. And that external ritual symbolized a connection with God, keeping covenant. Now, God would bring out the covenant at Sinai, a specific covenant for this nation, a national covenant, if you will. But Moses had to do the first thing first. So God will ask us, each of us, did you do what I told you to do before? Often people want to jump into things and ministry and the adventure with God and and we missed the very essential thing that God said to do. And that can lead to presumptuous sin and delusion. We have to make sure that we don't simply hear all these things and never apply it to our lives, but to stop and say, Lord, you're talking to me. I've got to do this, and that's the way I'm going to show that I really believe you. Moses was called to go, and he refused. He didn't come outright and say, come out outrightly to say, I'm not going. In those words, I know you called me, but I'm not going. But it was a crisis of belief. Lord, I don't think I can handle this. I don't think I can go and do what you're saying. And the conversation is not only interesting to observe, but it's a reflection of our sorry state many times of how we when God speaks, clearly for us to do something, we begin to make excuses. Moses' call began with the encounter at the burning bush in chapter 3. Now it continues in this intimate conversation. His commission from the Almighty God. I'm going to read the same chapter one more time. In the New Living Translation, we will stop at various points to go a little deeper. And, but Moses protested again. Exodus 4, verse 1. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? God already said go. But he needed more. And God obliged graciously. What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? What if they say you're just making things up it's out of your own imagination? We face those things. God tells us to go and talk to our family members about salvation. Oh, you're just religious and you're going to a place and a church that is 
just too much. Some people may call our church, our belief, demonic. Why? Because they have demons within them. When we speak the truth and do the truth, love the truth, and seek to purge ourselves, be cleansed by God, and seek to ready ourselves as a bride prepared for the bridegroom, for our Savior. When we separate ourselves from that which is so casual and normal for many, many Christians, they'll point to us with envy and anger. Why? So you're making me look bad. And the jealousy. and You think you're better than us and you're legalistic and you're this and that. Now to call people to obey God's word and to state unequivocally that you cannot enter heaven if there's rebellion in your heart against God because in heaven there's no rebellion. That's not legalistic. When the revelation came to Moses and to Abraham and to Israel and to us, God is holy. And without holiness, no one can see the Lord. It's not legalistic. When the implications derived from that revelation of God's character and nature necessitates our obedience to a holy God to make ourselves holy, through His blood, as He makes us holy, to be holy, to walk in holiness. It's not legalistic. But Satan will cry all those things and twist God's word and have masses in bondage who believe they're Christians, but they'll have a different alternate destination altogether. The shock forever for them. Because they thought they can be under grace and never have to perform anything God said to do. It's a free-for-all. And it's an end-all matter. When they came to the cross, once saved, always saved. Moses found out with the commission, there's a responsibility. What was the first commission? Simply to believe God. Just like the Lord Jesus said when they said in John chapter 6, what do we have to do to do the works of God? What is it? We want to get in on this. We've met people like that. They're hasty for power, hasty for glory, hasty for a free ride. When you tell them their responsibility, oh, you don't love me. You're legalistic. You're oppressing me. That which is fair and just all of a sudden becomes crooked in their eyes and they begin to be angry at the person who's showing so much grace. Many people in churches do that today. The moment God says, I told you to do this. Oh, that's not the kind of God I serve. Always hammering me about doing this and that. No, Christianity is not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's all about grace. We must remember. It's about grace and truth. Grace and truth. There's a truth that reveals God's grace and we must hold that truth not in unrighteousness and disobedience but obedience.
Moses would have been killed because he failed to keep his part of the covenant, the very initial part, which is circumcision. He got called. He got commissioned, a great plan and purpose, but without his obedience, he would have lost it all right there. He would have never made it to Egypt, never been the instrument for the ten wonders of plagues upon Egypt to show God's power. Never brought the Israelites out through the Red Sea. Everything would have stopped right there. How clearly God shows, no matter what has been prophesied over your life and my life, if we do not do God's will, we will lose it all, and God's not to blame. It will be all our fault. Who would preach that today? How many people have you heard preach this? People are afraid to preach the truth. You know why? They don't want the truth themselves. They want part of it. I want part of it, not all of it. I want a God who can be my genie. He can bail me out and he can be the lover of my soul. I can rest on his shoulders in his arms. And I love the imagery of Jesus and the paintings carrying a lamb on his shoulder. Oh, everything is lovey-dovey and wonderful and fluffy and soothing. I like that God. Well, you can be in various religions that will give you that soothing comfort. No understanding of the character of the living God. Nothing really to do with holiness. No moral law. So all God did it all. Notice this great lawgiver, Moses, under God. This towering figure in Jewish history and in the history of the people of God throughout the centuries, including Christians. This monumental figure in the history of mankind. From the law of Moses, or the law given to Moses, without any additions by the rabbis later, as they were perverting, Jesus would have to counter that to show that you've just nullifying what God said, you've twisted everything. But the law that was given by God is the basis for many of our democratic laws and institutions. Our civilized society derives a great deal from the law of God. Although there are common elements with other laws, there's a distinctive feature. There's a universal justice that God brings out in His law. Furthermore, He shows not only in the New Testament under the Lord Jesus Christ in His incarnation, but the same Jesus who gave the law to Moses, God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, always working together because the Lord our God is one. That law that was given, even in the Old Testament, 
God showed, even the very book of Exodus, it's based on love, to bring people closer to his heart, show people he's holy, but he's full of love, to go together. Moses would have lost everything if he didn't obey God. Did you realize Abraham, with all the promises God made him, it was not until he obeyed that God said, now I know, to paraphrase, that you're fit for the plan that I have for you. Jesus said in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, that a disciple must be worthy of the call. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. He said, whoever wants to follow me, you want to be a God-pleaser? You want to be in my family? Remember what Jesus said when his mother and brothers were there? He said, who is my family? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? The ones who hear God's word and keep it. Moses was not excluded from that. Abraham was not. Noah was not. Adam was not. We see what happened. We have to be very careful that God's character never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same loving God and the same holy God. And obedience is one word that is never, ever thrown out from the scriptural record and instruction. The distinction made in Galatians and Romans and Corinthians and the Gospels themselves is trying to keep God's law with rituals and ceremonies and a feeling of goosebumps that I entered into a wonderful cathedral and I feel something. That's what God is after. He says, all of that doesn't matter. From the heart, did you do what I told you to do? Did you love your neighbor as you loved yourself? And before that, do you love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? That never changed. That obedience to the covenant, to what God has revealed, never changes. Since Jesus came and died on the cross, it never absolved us of the responsibility to do our part to believe hyphen, obey. Believe, obey. Anytime you see belief and obedience divorced, you have a perverted, satanic doctrine. Moses learns that immediately. That I better obey God. I almost lost my life. I lost the call. I lost almost everything I lost. But in the beginning, there's the crisis. God is schooling him. He protested. He made excuses. What if, Lord? There's no what if when God says to do something. We want to learn that lesson. I want to learn it and make it part of my fabric. Never, ever question God as to his nature, his power, and his presence. When he says for me to do something, he said, I'll be with you. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. He obeyed. Praise God for that. I wonder how many people would obey at that juncture. Lord, can you turn into something else? Maybe a kitty cat. No. 
Now he knew enough to obey. Faith was there, but it had to grow. There were obstacles to faith, and he had to overcome it before he could ever go to Pharaoh. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, God fully equips us, doesn't he? He will never under-equip us for any task. Anything he wants us to obey, his grace is just all over us. If we can just believe. Hallelujah. Believe and you shall see the glory of God. We heard it again on Sunday. Believe God. Hallelujah. God said, he's going to do this for me. I have it in his word. God said, he'll be with me. Go do that, what God told you to do. Trash all those excuses from the devil. You just do it. The world can be inspired to just do it. And for what? Things that are ultimately useless. No matter what it is in this world. But we're seeking an eternal crown to please our Heavenly Father. The Lord gave some more as evidence of His grace and His provision, His preparation for Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in. And when he took it out again, it was as health as the rest of his body. Why would he use such a sign as leprosy? General term for an infectious, transmissible skin disease. Why would he have the staff turn into a snake? The things that are normally feared, God says, I'm over that fear. Hallelujah. The afflictions of the body, as God will reveal later in Exodus 15, if you would listen to the voice of the Lord your God, if you will keep his statutes and keep his word, his commandments, then I will put none of the diseases that I put on the Egyptians upon you. He's the God of all flesh. He's demonstrating. I'm in total control. The disease that you have, the problems, I can solve it in an instant. Hallelujah. The Lord said to Moses, if they don't believe you, do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they'll be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile they had gods over the Nile and it was a worship center as well as a place of production using the fertile ground there 
near this revered Nile River. He said that water, I'm going to show them over the Nile. Their famed Nile River, I'm in charge of that too. I can stop the production. God is showing Pharaoh in Egypt. I'm the living God. Let go of my people now. He says when you put that water on the dry ground, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. Now Moses seeing these things and hearing about this, he just witnessed two miraculous signs and a third one he's going to perform. But Moses pleaded with the Lord after all of this, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. Lord, I know you're great and you want me to do great things and I've never seen anything like this, Lord. I'm in awe, but I want to tell you, Lord, I've got a secret to tell you. Even after you spoke to me after all of this, I'm still not able to do what you told me to do. See, Lord, I can't speak well. I've never been good in grammar, failed all my essays. And Lord, to give a speech in front of a classroom, oh, I get so nervous. My stomach is just a knot and my knees get weak and I break out into a sweat. Lord, I, I don't know if I can do this. It's getting very hot in here. I feel like dropping, Lord. I'm not very good with words. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Man, I'm sending you. In the mouth that you have... I made it. I'm telling you to go do something. Don't you think I'll be with you? To help you? There's a crisis of belief. You see, it's one thing to believe God can, in a general sense. Another thing altogether to believe God can do it for me. Another thing altogether, God will do it for me. And the Lord asked Moses, who makes the person's mouth who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, John chapter 9 refutes any satanic assertion, devious suggestion from the serpent to say that, oh, so God is the one who makes everybody handicapped and he need to understand Adam was never handicapped, neither was Eve. When they became spiritually handicapped and spiritually dead, that's when all the other problems came. And yet, it's God in His mercy who allows these things, who is still in control, who has a plan to liberate everyone under any kind of oppression. When the disciples said, Lord, who sinned? Was it the parents or the man that the man is blind? Neither, Jesus said, but for the glory of God. This has happened. God brought him out. He's a miracle working God. Hallelujah. 
God is sovereign, but he is not responsible, responsible for sin or the effects of sin. And in the midst of our mess, not only through our first parents, Adam and Eve, but through our own rebellion. As we mention often, a person can be very cultured, the kindest person in society, the most diligent person, working hard, making top grades and earning top dollar, and even philanthropic, giving to many charities, and be an enemy of God. How is that? How can you go and help people with your own time, out of your own good heart, still be an enemy of God? By not believing God's revelation, and adding other things, and subtracting things, and then being a big head, if you will, being able to debate and argue, and feeling very secure and snug, in what? My self-centered living. To have an appearance on the outside, but be very much in control on the inside. As I mentioned to the query posted from someone regarding kneeling down. We can do many things externally and ritualistically. God's looking at the heart. How does he know we really believe him? We really mean business with God? If we do what he said, what is it? Keep separate from this filthy world. Watch your mouth. Make sure you're humble before God. Not externally. There are many pious people in cathedrals, in monasteries, in all kinds of temples and various religions. In churches, whether Catholic or Protestant, whether Lutheran, Episcopalian, you name it. God can scan every heart in an instant and he can pick out who's the sheep and who's the goat having the religious exterior. God is a just God. He's not responsible for sin and he will not condone sin. And wherever he sees that people are enslaved by sin and under the bondage of the effects of sin, he hears the groan He's the most compassionate person. He's looking always to see whether they have faith enough to believe so that he can bring them out. Our relationship with God is based on believing God. Our fellowship with God is based on believing God, which always, 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 in the biblical definition of the term, includes and involves a follow-up and a follow-through in doing exactly what God said. Otherwise, he said, you don't believe. So God said, I'm in control. You're worried about your mouth. You're worried about whether you can speak or not. You're tongue-tied and slow of speech. Your words get tangled up. Is that it, Moses? I made the mouth. I know all about it more than you. Brothers and sisters, Tremendous lesson to be learned here, not only about overcoming obstacles and believing what God said, but you know what? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Moses was not called at the height of his popularity and eloquence and physical strength and mental acumen, his skills, his abilities. Paul the Apostle says later by the Spirit of God, not many of us, you see, 
Not many of us were called who were mighty and wise. No, we were weak and foolish. The excellencies of God. God specifically waited 40 years till Moses was 80 years old where he felt he was zero so God can be his hero and through God make Moses a hero hallelujah I can never be a hero for God I can never understand that he's my ultimate hero unless and until I become zero as it said no one comes to God with a cup full who goes away with anything from God but the one who comes with a cup absolutely empty gets filled to overflowing Moses said I, I don't even know who I am anymore I can't talk right I, I'm alone I, I'm in a foreign place I'm just forgotten I once knew certain things I didn't want that stuff because I know it's not good but now I'm in a vacuum Lord what is my calling brother sister have you ever wondered what is my calling in life or have you jumped to conclusions that you have no call in your life on your life or you have call and callings and you're not sure if it's God's will or worse yet I'm certain that I'm called to this when God may be saying no you're not I didn't call you to that how, get you, how can you get to know what God's call is on your life by doing first things first separate from everything that is ungodly so God can fashion you into a vessel that he can use get alone with God again from Sunday's message from Esther by the Spirit of God on point it was like nuclear power every word by the grace of Almighty God it touched me it touched Pastor it touched many people we heard when you love God's word and you're in it day and night when you're in God's presence you will receive power from on high so that when you speak Moses is going to learn because God's presence is going to go with him it's going to be effective Believe God. Spend time with the bread of life. Jesus Christ, the word of God. He said, is it not I? Now go. Verse 12, I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. Moses, you're the perfect candidate for my power to flow through you. I will not compete with anyone's pride. We're talking about God here. Anyone that comes to God and says, well, I'm pretty smart, they're the greatest fool. Anyone says, well, I got good grades in college and I passed this and tries to bring that as some kind of positive asset in the supernatural domain, the work that God calls them to and wants to have them embark upon is unqualified already whereas God gives natural talents and he uses things we should never presume that we have something to put on the table that God needs me and that because of this 
I'm special. And God should pick me. It's the one who comes broken before God and says, Lord, I may have a degree, I may not have a degree. Lord, I may have muscles, I may not have muscles, strength. Lord, I may have a lot of money in the bank, I may have nothing in the bank. Lord, I may have a whole group of friends all around me everywhere, I'm the life of the party. I may not have any friend, hardly any friends. I may be in the papers, in the limelight, and everybody knows me. I may feel like I'm excluded and forgotten. For both groups of people, both types of people, we come to God, we have to say, Yours is the glory, the honor, Lord, the power. Lord, I realize I'm nothing without you. Please take me under your wing. Shower me with your grace, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Moses had to learn all over again. This time, not with the wisdom of the Egyptians, but the wisdom from heaven, from the Holy Spirit. This great emancipator this great liberator, this towering figure, had a crisis of simple faith in the beginning. But like Abram, who became Abraham, the father of faith, we have seen in the life training school, in our sessions, there was a progress. How is it with you? Can you note a progress? How do you know if your faith has grown? If you are obeying God's word more and more. His truth, his revelation. Moses overcame this by the grace of God and his cooperation. You could have said, Lord, I know, I know. I've seen the signs and you're going to do this and that. I know what you're saying, Lord, that you are in control of the universe. I have no question or contention about that, Lord. My problem is me going and doing what you said. So I'm going to go back to my father-in-law and take care of the sheep and take care of my... i got a family to raise, Lord. I've got to put them in school. You know, maybe after they graduate, they get married, I'll think about serving you. He could have. When he had opportunity to do what? Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Return. Thank God he didn't. First of all, for his own sake. And yet Moses, after God says, now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send it somebody else. Anyone else, Lord. Poor little me, poor old me. I'm eight decades, Lord, old. I love the encounter with you, Lord, at the burning bush. God never, ever gives us any encounter, any revelation of himself without something for us to do with it and about it. It's for us to go and shine the light. He that is faithful in least or little 
can be counted on to be faithful in much. And to whomever has, God says, I will give more. I'll add more. But to the one who doesn't have, goes and buries that talent, puts it underneath. Even that which he seems to have, or he has, will be taken away and given to somebody else. There's a time period in which God will continue to call somebody, but there will be a time in which he'll stop calling. That's the horrible moment. And the lie of the devil is to make a person think, well, he called me Sunday, he called me Monday, he called me Tuesday. God actually told me last year to do something. And he'll probably keep calling me for another few years. You know how God is. He's just so loving. You may find that before the year's through, the call has gone to somebody else. That's how critical it is to be on point with God and to understand who we're dealing with. It is a privilege to be spoken to by God Almighty. Further privilege to be invited by Him to have a part in His kingdom. To separate myself from foolishness and ungodliness and self-centered living. To consecrate myself to His call for my life. I don't have to become a priest or a nun. As a human being, made in the image of God, restored by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. Believing in Him and Him alone. Plus nothing. Minus nothing. Because God said, as we'll see in the book of Exodus, and carried on all the way out to Revelation, You are to me a kingdom of priests. Kings and priests. Who? Every single Israelite. Every single Christian. There's a high calling, Paul the Apostle says, for every believer. We don't have time to trifle with trinkets and to pass our days and moments with trivial pursuits. We get a little bit of the Bible, a little bit of church, and a little bit of this sermon, that devotional. And uh, I'm going to do a lot of this thing. What's that? My thing, my own thing. Is the Lord the Lord of my life or is He some kind of backup plan? We'll be in for a rude awakening if we think we can fool God, not have Him as Lord. The Lord demands absolute obedience, He establishes His sovereignty. And still Moses said, Lord, please send somebody else. Then the Lord became so grieved and upset. He became exasperated and he sighed a deep sigh. Oh, Moses, Moses, please, Moses. No, the word here is he became angry with Moses. The word in the Hebrew denoted by an English transliteration, if you will, apostasy in the letters AP, signifies a, a breathing of anger coming from the nostrils. He was getting angry. 
Is God an angry God? No, he's not. He's the most loving person. God is love. But when the devil gets his way into a human being to defy God, albeit under the guise of humility, Lord, I don't think I can do it. Oh, not poor old me. That's defiance when God says, go do it. can come under different guises. It's the same thing. I'm not going to do it, Lord. God gets angry because he's done everything he can to show Moses. You're dealing with a supernatural God. I just showed you a couple of miracles. What more do you need? And I'm telling you, I've handpicked you, I've loved you, I've preserved you to this point. God gets angry. Can God get angry today? After Jesus died on the cross, we're under the new covenant, grace, grace. Yes, he still gets angry. You know why? The person who got angry with Moses right there was Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity is indivisible from the other members of the Trinity. It's been said in the creeds, the best we can explain it, perhaps, is that the divine Godhead, as it says in the book of Colossians, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is of one essence or divine substance, and yet three distinct persons or personhood in the Trinity. We can't understand much more than that. It's a revelation. Jesus got angry with Moses. Jesus almost killed Moses. And he didn't keep the covenant. In Revelation, the same Jesus, after he came, gentle, meek, lowly, after he died on the cross and gave everything he's gotten, everything he had for us, after he rose from the dead and on the shore, he made breakfast for them. So loving. He called them children. He called them my friends. He kept them close to his heart. Having loved them, he loved them to the very end. Saint Jesus will come back in Revelation. Nobody's going to miss this. Everyone will see. Every eye will see. The one who is pierced for our transgressions come down in triumph behold the wrath of the Lamb he's going to burn up his enemies he's a consuming fire Jesus appeared to Moses in the burning bush the Father did the Holy Spirit Jesus was there the point is Jesus Christ whom we follow Christian follower of Christ is the same yesterday today and forever He's not a person who gets angry for anything, but he gets angry when he sees people given to the devil and begins to speak devil talk of unbelief. Isn't he right to get angry? After he's done so much, would you get angry? Wouldn't you get angry? If you went and helped a homeless person, and you helped them to recover, and you kept pouring into them and giving and giving and giving, person who is a nobody. 
And after giving everything we got to the last cent and last drop of energy, sweat and tears and blood, and tell them just go do this. You're going to be further blessed and it's going to be a blessing for everyone. And they stand and look at you in the eyes and say, what have you done for me lately? And I'm not going to do what you say, even if it's good. In fact, what you're telling me to do is a lie because I can't do it. After all that you invested, imagine a child that's an orphan and the parents, the new parents keep that a secret. They don't want to make the child feel bad and they try to use their human intelligence and rationale and consider how long we can keep it a secret and what's good for the child. And perhaps they've kept it a secret and the child goes all the way to college. They provide every single thing for the child as if the child was really naturally their own biologically. They love the child and the child is the hero of the home and for the child to discover that he really came from somewhere else and they showed so much love all these years and to say, what have you done for me lately? I'm not going to listen to you. It's even far greater here with Moses. God revealed himself as the I am, the great I am. After God is dealing with him very patiently, we, it's reminiscent of Abraham talking with God, making a bargain to try to rescue Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is so patient. He's so patient. But we need to know he can get angry, and it's not a good thing when God gets angry. And still God continued to work with him. And the anger of the Lord is kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? Look, enough about you. You keep worrying about what you can't do. I'm going to be even more gracious. I know that he can speak well. You're worried about speaking well? If you're not going to go unless you're convinced that somebody can speak well, and you're not going to believe me that I can be with you and you can do the job, I'm going to bring somebody else. Incidentally, you recall Aaron was the one who made the Israelites to sin and he was the one who fashioned that golden calf. And what happened? Moses had a very rough time there. God became so angry. That's what happens when you include somebody because you didn't want to do it God's way and God consented. He made a provision there. And what happened? So many things can transpire. That didn't have to happen. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. God is so positive, he's so good. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. Now will be with thy mouth and with his mouth. Look, you have one somebody else, I'm still going to be with your mouth and his mouth. But now you have a spokesperson. And uh, I'll teach you what you shall do. And he shall be your spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he, 
will be your mouthpiece and you will stand in the place of God for him. How? Because God's going to reveal to Moses and Moses will tell Aaron what to say. That's the extent of that phrase, the meaning of that. Telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I've shown you. So Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt. Moses said, I don't even know if they're still alive. Notice the wisdom employed here. He didn't go and reveal everything brought out. You know what God revealed to me? Great things, father-in-law. We need to learn how to control our mouths and keep things inside until the time God wants us to be manifest. Wants it to be revealed. Otherwise we can introduce great difficulties, maybe even stop God's plan in our lives. Jethro replied, go in peace. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. Recall, same thing was told to Joseph. The earthly supposed father of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They that sought the child, the young child's life, are dead. God is in full control. We must trust God. He knows when to lead us and how to lead us and where to lead us. But we need to be intimate with Him. We need to have that encounter. We need to spend time with Him. Otherwise, we'll be assuming many things with a little bit of scripture, a little bit of goosebumps, a little bit of revelation, end up in the wrong destination. Waste time in life doing Christian ministry, quote-unquote. God never intended, intended for us to be there. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand he carried the staff of God. God touched his ordinary life. And he had a supernatural commission, supernatural presence of God. The Lord told Moses, Exodus 4.21, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I've empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. He was already wicked. He was already hard in his heart. God said, this is what he wants? He's, a, he's the type of person that will never repent. God says, I can already see it. No matter what, this guy will not repent. He has chosen Satan. He's evil. So I let him have his way. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. The people that are under bondage here, two to three million people, they're all mine. I consider them my firstborn son. God is saying, when the guy refuses to let Israel go, tell him, you have a firstborn son? Israel is my first, all these people are my firstborn son, collectively. Let him go so he can worship me. 
But since you've refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. Who did this? We must remember Jesus Christ, the living God, Alpha and Omega. The point is being emphasized over and over again because there's a division in the hearts and minds of people, not only dulled but deviously informed by Satan. Somehow the God of the Old Testament is very different from Jesus Christ. No, he's the same and he hasn't changed. You see the same loving God with a progressive revelation the law leading to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He's a God of justice. He's a God who won't tolerate sin. But you know, He's a God unlike any other human being who has the greatest patience. No one can find fault with God and be right. Because he is perfect. And when he says to Moses, tell Pharaoh, I'm going to execute your firstborn son if you don't let my people go. He meant it and we see how it played out. And to think that a world can say, I choose God just like I choose pizza today. I choose God. I choose to pray. I choose to read. And, uh, ooh, look at that religion, Buddhism, sounds cool. Look at that one over there. Look at those rituals over there. I think I like that. You know, it kind of matches my clothing, this new charm that I got. I don't care what religion, it's just cool. I don't care what brand of Christianity. Why don't we all get along and be one? That's, not, that's the ticket. All of us, like Oprah Winfrey said after 9-11, This woman possessed by the devil, as many people are. Somebody says, Pastor, how can you say that? Well, I don't mean in a way that the person was out of control, writhing on the ground. But there are people possessed who are very refined and they can even be religious. We've seen that in our own midst. Well, she said, let's call all the different religious leaders and religions uh, representatives of various religions, Yankee Stadium, nice, big, public, famous place. Let's all get together and talk. Why can't we all get along? Let's be one. That's what the Tower of Babel was about, Babylonian religion. And various branches of it, down to Hinduism. Why don't you have a, a massive conglomeration of gods and goddesses and Greek mythology and I'm sure you one you find one that you can adopt as a mascot or you can become his pet or her pet. How about that one over there, this Aphrodite? What about this one? It really helps you to enjoy your human sexuality and uh, satisfies your lust. And look look at the way that statue looks. I think I like that. How many people have become fools? thought they were wise, well-educated, traveling the world, admiring with oohs and ahs and touching stones and different things that are demonically inspired, appreciating people in language and culture, inviting demons. 
mixing up everything. God is not about unity without truth. Is God who is the God of the truth, God of truth. He's a God who is just. The same God, Jesus Christ, who says, tell that demon-inspired Pharaoh that I'm going to kill his firstborn. In verse 24, the very next verse, the very next verse, somebody's unmuted again, please just check it. The very next verse, he's about to kill Moses. You know what that shows us? Not that he's whimsical and he's God who's just flying off the handle. No. It shows that he's not a God of partiality, that the same requirement goes for everyone. God is a holy God. We have to come to him in holiness. In one verse, in verse 23, he says, you go to Pharaoh and tell him that I will destroy his firstborn if he doesn't let Israel go. In the very next verse, on the, on the, next verse, on the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. and cast it foreskin of her son at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. And you see, parenthetically, in the New Living Translation, referring to circumcision, the covenant, Moses didn't keep it. He didn't keep his end of the Agreement with God, the covenant, his obedience. After that, the Lord left him alone. How easy it is to read about baby Moses in a basket and stay in a simplistic Sunday school mentality for little ones. Never understand every word that's been written that can never be changed. The Lord said, the scripture cannot be broken. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God never has second, third, fourth, fifth, twentieth editions of his Bible. There's no editing going on after he writes, because he writes it perfectly the first time. Which behooves us to look carefully at every word and say, My Father, what are you saying to me through this? Not jump to conclusions with the devil's help. When we don't understand something about God or His actions, we need to stop and say, Lord, I am confused and I dare not allow the enemy to come in and question your integrity. Why? Because God is good. It's not simply because says, He says, I'm good and never question me. He really is. It's not because God says, as for God, His way is perfect, the word of the Lord is flawless. Oh, I just have to blindly believe this. No. He really is. And His word is flawless. 
So when there's a disconnect with us and the Word of God and with understanding who God is and why He acted like He did, we need to say, Lord, I'm slow of understanding, Lord. I'm dull. Please teach me more, Lord. Show me more, Lord. I want to know Your majesty and Your beauty and Your glory, Lord. I can't comprehend this, Lord. But I know You can reveal to me more. That's the person who will really get to be intimate with God. And they will find out more and more as the days go by. Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Hallelujah. Yes, my daddy, my great God, Abba Father, is a God of justice. He's not going to let people get away with evil. But he made a provision for every human being, even the worst criminal, to come and receive mercy. What a great God. And when they refuse it and they continue to refuse it, they harden their hearts like Pharaoh, he will act decisively and wipe them out. He has to. What father and mother, the right minds will allow one of the children or a bunch of the children to become drug users and abusers and violent and immoral and wicked to dwell in the same home as the other children who are innocent to mess them up and even kill them. Isn't it love that will separate them? And if need be, put them away for good? Or do you allow the people, oh, it's my flesh and blood. I feel sorry for them. Let them come and kill more people and hurt more people. It's my son after all. It's my daughter. That would not be justice at all. There would be a perversion of justice because of some personal agenda. God is impartial. Now, Moses' wife, thank God she stepped forward. She recognized something he didn't do. I'm going to save his life and our whole family here. I'm going to step forward and do this to satisfy this God who she will learn as days go by. Absolutely holy and loving. Moses dropped the ball over here. Would to God that we would step forward and intercede. Moses is known as the great intercessor, but he had somebody who interceded for him. How many people know that and can understand that in context? His Midianite wife, who didn't even know God really, was beginning to know God through his, her husband. She stepped forward. She saw what needed to be done. She did it. May we be like that on behalf of our families, especially if we know God especially if we're in this church, being given so much revelation from the Almighty God, to be decisive and say, no, we have to do this now. We're going to honor God. Have you ever stepped forward in your family and said, we're not going to do this? And all of a sudden, somebody gets upset. Who are you to teach me? You think you're better than me? You're arrogant. Instead of saying, wait a minute, is it right or wrong? Is the person speaking the truth? Is it from the Word of God? Is it what God wants me to do? That's all. That settles the matter. Humble yourself. Just do the right thing. Swallow your pride. Otherwise, you'll never grow. You'll be a spiritual dwarf. But humility will cause us to grow. Similarly, we should not be afraid of offending man, even our own family members. We're going to have a great family picnic and it falls on a Sunday. Excuse me. I worship the living God on Sunday. Oh, you can worship Him at the picnic. 
No, we gather together as the body of Christ to worship God. Pick any other day, but not Sunday. Oh, we're going to have a party. My son just graduated, or this one just got promoted, and that one's going away. Do you know how many Christians skip the sacred meeting with God in the midst of His people, where His glory comes down? He's honored. It's trivial to them. All of a sudden, that which they were so happily talking about worship and I can't wait becomes something to put in the back seat. All of a sudden, family, food, fun, fellowship. This doesn't only go for Sunday. Any activity or meeting Unless it's absolutely necessary, we should really weigh it and say, am I able to be present and participate fully? Or has something else come and given me a, a rational excuse? Why all of a sudden I can't be part of it or participate? It seems very plausible and proper. At that point, we have actually reared up an idol. We need to be very careful. May God speak to us. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, verse 27, Go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron went and met Moses at the mountain of God and he embraced him. Just like God said. God is proving over and over again. Exactly as I say it's going to happen. Do you believe me now? Have you ever considered that? We're so full of unbelief and doubt and we've experienced so much hurt and failure that it's hard to believe anything anymore or anyone anymore. But we can believe God all the time because He doesn't change. He keeps His word. God, I just saw you do something that I know only you could have done it. Oh, thank you, God. I promise I'll be devoted to you more, Lord. And then again, God says to do something. Oh, I'm afraid. I don't think I can do it, Lord. Go and reconcile yourself with your sister. Not now, Lord. God says, my hand is with you. Go do it. Oh God, you helped me to do this. What a wonderful thing, Lord. You've helped me to actually accomplish that which I didn't think I can do. And there's a growth right there. And as we continue to grow... God can entrust in our hands more and more. Moses learned, just like God said, here comes Aaron and he wasn't angry at me, he wasn't disillusioned or aloof. Aaron was happy to see me. God said that. Moses records these things in his heart for sure. I can trust God. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say and he told him about the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to perform. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together, Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Glory be to God, the plan is unfolding. And to think that Moses almost didn't go. When we have unbelief, 
we can cut off the power of supply to the very people God wants us to go and minister to. Sin is never in isolation. Whenever we become selfish or self-centered or self-conscious, we become the instrument of the devil to hinder God's blessing in many people's lives. That's the truth. Not only our own lives, but many people's lives. So understand in context, when God says to do something, when the Spirit of God is revealing something, when the pastors are led by God to ask you to do something, God is trying to invite you to come closer to Him and use your life in an extraordinary way. With a simple, not now, maybe later, now, I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm not ready. There will come a time when you may think you're ready and God will say, it's too late. That's the truth. Moses almost lost his call. Why? First of all, unbelief by arguing with God of why he can't do what God said for him to do. Secondly, by not keeping his end of the agreement, the covenant. We need to be careful that we obey the word of the Lord all the time. Train ourselves to obey God's commandments. Never fear to do what God said to do. When fear comes, to overcome that fear, to reject it, and to say, I'm going in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, fear depart from me. You have no place in my life. We sing that song as we conclude this morning. If you take me to the desert, I will go. If you take me to the palace, I will go. If you take me to the garden, I will go. Take me to the valley, I will go, I will go, I will go, I will go. You are the truth. You are the life, you're the way. Is God your all in all? Is it your priority to listen carefully for His voice every day? To count it the highest privilege? And to look for opportunities, not in our own strength, in our own mind, with our own eyes. Oh, that looks nice. I think that's good to serve God here and there. No. What does God want me to do? Now, am I willing to be in His presence to find out? And then when He says to do it, never look at the odds. Never listen to naysayers and the devil's voice. But just go and do it. And as we go, we'll see God providing everything we need to accomplish the task. Chapter 4 of Exodus was a crisis of unbelief that Moses thought would come about in Pharaoh and in the people of Israel, but he came to find out it first came to him. He had to overcome that. God graciously dealt with him and helped him to deal with his own unbelief. And he became a mighty man of faith, used extraordinarily in an unprecedented way. Miraculous signs and wonders. Could it be that God wants you to be mightily used of Him in miracles, signs and wonders? 
and humble yourself. Believe God and obey Him. Shall we pray? In fact, I'd like somebody else to pray. Allow somebody else to pray, then I'll conclude at the end. Praise God. If God's spoken to you, please go ahead and pray.